says, get that India, big boy. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm John. That's Craig. It's been one heck of a ride to get here, but we're from the Cumberland Froze, the Tip Sheet Podcast, live from Jack's Bar and Grill. How's everyone doing tonight as we wait for that grand final berth for not one, but two teams? This has been the best time all year being in here and seeing so many faces that we've had the opportunity to meet this year. Thank you all for coming tonight. It's a, it's a real buzz to have you all here. And uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk a bit of footy for the next hour or so. <laughs> so uh, thanks for joining us. And to start the night, we're going to be a little impromptu because we've got one of our regular listeners, regular visitors to the Cumberland Throw, Pete. He was up at Townsville last week, so we've asked him if he'll come up and have a bit of a chat with us. So everyone give Pete a round of applause. Talk close, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Pete, you made the trip up to Townsville I'm not going to ask you how much that set you back because I think all of us who looked into airfare and accommodation knows what sort of Ouch. what sort of pain was going to be there with that. But uh, first of all, where would you rate that on the scale of all the ma- all the Eels matches you've been able to see? Really good question. I would rate that one of the best I've seen in the last 30 years. Absolutely, no doubt. I went up there with my son, who's over there at the table over there, and we, um, we went up there on the Thursday night. Place was hot, no doubt about that. But that game, as like I mentioned to you just briefly before, I don't think people realise how intense that atmosphere was for our players. There would have been maybe 200 of us, 300 maybe, and that place, there was 29,000 Cowboys fans who, who were baying for their blood. And when they got in front in that second half, the momentum the Cowboys had with the crowd, the way our guys steadied and then came back at them was, was something I haven't seen in, in a long, long time. And I thought, I thought they didn't get enough credit from, I guess, the wider media of how big a win that was given the hostile atmosphere. Of course, we were in here in Jack's Bar and Grill watching the game live. <laughs> I've got my own fan club. In the 52nd minute when Valentine Holmes delivers that bullet to Murray Talangi to put them eight points ahead, you could hear a pin drop up here. It just You felt the energy leave the room. You just felt like, maybe is this going to happen again? Is the heart going to be broken again? What was it like at the stadium? Did you guys hold the faith the entire time? I'd like to say I held the faith. I was concerned. When, when he scored that try and I looked behind the try line, of course we'd done so much defence, so I was a little bit... Um, fearful that the body language of our guys, they looked, a bit, they looked a bit gassed. But then, as I said, for them to steady themselves, and I think it was um, Drinkwater um, knocked on and Leno took the ball, and then from then we didn't take, look back. But the other thing is 
it got reversed. The actual emotion of it got reversed because as soon as Reg scored that try, their crowd got very nervous. And I reckon our players then sensed on that, you know, for the next five or six minutes um, and then sort of rode that to the end. But as to watch how tense everyone was back here, at the ground it was unbelievable. There was people jumping around us. Uh, the Cowboys fans could smell, smell the win and when um, Felt went close in the corner, um, it, was, it was getting uh, tricky there for a while, but the absolute jubilation um, up there amongst us was amazing and then to see it all back here and you know, the, the shots of the supporters celebrating was amazing. Well, you talk about that jubilation. Uh, the cameras can only capture so much of the players out on the field what did you see of the players out on the field, how they reacted to that final siren? It was interesting. They, they sort of slumped to the ground because, you know, they'd, they'd completed two or three sets in defence straight up. And what I did actually like is they didn't run across to us like they'd won the grand final. It was like, you know, they got up, they, they, they were respectful to the Cowboys. A few of them came over and gave a couple of claps to us and they got off the field. And it was, it was quite interesting. It was, um, it was like, no, we haven't done the job yet. That was big, but we've got bigger fish to fry. Well, the, the feedback that's come out of the club about that night and about back in the dressing room is apart from enjoying the team's song, that it was really um, being focused again, mind on the job ahead. And it seems like that was also reflected then on what was happening out on the field, that, you know, that moment, a little bit of moment of enjoying it and then off the field ready to concentrate on next week. Yeah. And I would agree with that. And I think, I think that was a really good way to start the week for them. I thought it was fantastic. 60s always says that when you're watching the game on TV, it's not the same as watching it live because you can't always see the full story of the game that's been unfolding in front of you. And he cites often like Nathan Curry in week one of the finals, the impact that he had beyond what the broadcast could show. From your viewpoint in the stands, who were the difference makers? Because we, we really struggled to get the points out post-game because there were so many tremendous efforts. But who were the difference makers that you saw on the field with your vantage point? Surprisingly, and I don't think he got a lot of credit, I thought Bailey Simonson was really good late. I thought there was a couple of times there he, he sort of... He lost his, he's lost his feet a couple of times, got back up, made tackles that you probably didn't see on telly and the work he was doing behind the ground. I thought Reid Marnie was unbelievable and he was, he was a really composed part of the middle, you know, and he was marshalling them to where to go. But, you know, Reg was enormous um, and um, they're, they're the sort of guys that we probably didn't see too much of. Uh, they kept doing their job, um, but clearly... It was Leno in the end yeah. that was that little yeah. bit of difference. Yeah. Um, but they were, they were gassed, right? And they just to keep finding it and then to get and, and to finish on top of them um, was amazing. And as I said, you make a really good point about the television because even when I watched the highlights, you couldn't um, feel the atmosphere we felt at the game of, of 29,000 people riding the Cowboys home. And it, it was a, a very emotional crowd and they were right up for it. So to, to actually get through that and then to come here on Sunday and I suspect we'll have 65% of the crowd, maybe, you know, somewhere around about there, it, it gives me great confidence from that side of things. Well, it was... Uh, I mean, we are starting to make 
estimates about what sort of crowd support there's going to be. The the Eels appeared down in the in the city this week, and it seemed like the entire crowd that was there to see them were Eels supporters. I'd like to think we are going to have about 65, 70%. Would you have put any points value on having the home crowd advantage up in Townsville? Because that would just add to all the stats that that went against us on the night. I I would have thought it was worth 14 or 18 points. It was... was, to, To be there and to hear it... Mate, I, and I've been to plenty of league games. I've been to some big union games and stuff. I've never felt as intimidated in a crowd as we did. Like, we were just sticking together um, because they don't mind giving it to you as well and they were giving it to our guys. And, and it, was, it was enormous, right? It was, you know, there was, a, there was a wave of emotion and then, you know, for our guys to do it. And again, I think we've all heard a lot of people say this week, that's not the sort of game that Parramatta win, or in the past, uh, old Parramatta don't win that game, but new Parramatta win that game. So, again, that should give us confidence again. You know, as the underdog with the crowd, you know, it's right where I reckon Brad Arthur would want our guys to be, in my opinion. Well, Pete, it was a, you weren't expecting to come up and speak to us tonight. You've done a superb job. Still Everyone, round of applause for Pete. Can, can I also just say, sorry, I probably shouldn't have put a microphone in front of me, but, but these guys do an outstanding job all year and, and all their support crew, and I can see them on the table over there. And there's a lot of para fans that, that, that read your stuff and really enjoy it. And, and I know I don't write blogs and stuff like that with you, but I uh, assure you there's a lot like me who read it. So congratulations! You, and one of the Thank you. one of the best feelings I had on the on the weekend was getting on the plane um, after I, my son showed me how to actually download your podcast rather than listen to it. So I listened to it on the plane. There were lots of Paris supporters on the plane, and to listen to you guys and and Mary and and everyone and all your crew, that was a really good podcast, and, and you know gave us gave it goosebumps. So thank you so much. And we're going to talk a little bit of uh, NRLW. And uh, that means that we're going to call on the wonderful Mary Kay to come up and have a bit of a chat with us. Hopefully we didn't interrupt her dinner. (laughs) It's been a long while since we've uh, spoken, Mary. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Alrighty, well, there is so much to talk about with the NRLW because the ultimate underdogs, I mean, that is the tag that they're embracing now after what they did against the Sydney Roosters last week. But 60s and I have been speaking about this. The, the numbers, the win-loss record does not reflect the team they have been this entire campaign. I couldn't agree more. And I think the real narrative around our women's team has been that they've snuck into the finals with just one win. And whilst that's true on the face of it, if you look at the games that they've actually played... They lost week one quite heavily to the Roosters, 38 points to 16. We changed our halves combination in week two, lost by six to the Dragons, then by two to the Knights, two to the Titans, and then we beat the Broncos. So even though they just had that one win, it has been really close through this whole season. You know, Mary, I've, I've had a, a change of thought about the whole competition, right? Now, when there were four teams in the NRLW... 
I regarded that sort of more like an exhibition tournament because often it was decided in the first week who was going to play in the final. Now we've moved on to six teams. I regard it as like a representative season because a lot of these ladies have played in the New South Wales Harvey Norman competition. This is played at the end of that season. So it's like they've been put into representative teams to compete against each other. So I'm now seeing a six-team season as the culmination of, a, of full seasons that they've been in in the New South Wales. And it's, it's an elite round robin, almost like a, a tournament or a World Cup or what have you, where there's the pool, the top teams in the pool get to play the finals and then the grand final. Next year it goes to 10 teams, so it becomes more like a premiership. But to that end, just like in a World Cup pool situation, you could have a, you could have a, 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 a national team that might get a win or a draw or something like that, but because of how the other results go, they get to qualify for the next stage. And that's literally what happened for Parramatta. They got to qualify for the next stage in the competition. It's a really good point you raise, particularly around the Harvey Norman Women's Premiership, because it has been a really busy year of footy for these women in that they've played NRLW season 2021 at the start of the year. Then they went into Harvey Normans, they had State of Origin and they've had NRLW season 2022. And it's interesting to think about when they will put the season next year, because I feel like the season at the beginning of this year got a bit more traction and a bit more energy, maybe because there was clear air, but then you don't get the benefit of those players having played Harvey Norman and State of Origin. So very curious to see what they do with the scheduling next year. And you know, the scheduling gets really interesting because an important growth area is making sure there's broadcasting of the games. And even this year, you had games put to the second to a secondary channel and the NRL program was staying live and the NRLW was switched to the second second channel. Um, I think for NRLW to grow, they really have to have that clear air that you talked about. And next year with a 10-team competition, the NRL is already talking about in the men's space getting rid of that Friday night 6pm game and moving to a third Sunday game. So then what does that mean for the scheduling of the women's game? I mean, you could put a women's game on at 6pm, but for women that are working full-time, it makes it really hard to get to the club and do the preparation that you need to do before a game day. And that's why the transition to the NRLW eventually becoming a full-time job is so important for these women as athletes. Absolutely, and especially when we're looking at a 10-week competition next year, that's almost doubling the length of the season. Mm -hmm. And we're obviously going through a collective bargaining agreement right now. I'm really hoping that we see an increase in pay because these women deserve it, and if we want to keep seeing the competition improve, that's what we need to do. And yes, I've got people that agree with me. Amazing. (laughs) As far as coaching decisions go, it doesn't get much bolder than making a full-on sweep in your halves. And, you know, that's no knock on Brooke Morgan-Walker and Lasana Lutu, but when he makes the change to Taylor Preston and Ashley Quinlan round two, wow. Like, that is as bold as it gets, but look what it's reaped down the road. What I think is even more incredible about Ash and Taylor is that they didn't know each other before the season started. And these are two women that have overcome some pretty significant injuries. So, from memory, Ash Quinlan had a really bad knee dislocation 
And then in relation to Taylor, she represented Australia in Fiji in the Papua New Guinea 13. And then after that did her ACL. So they fought really hard for their places. And I think it's been incredible. Ash Quinlan broke the line several times last week, just, you know, poking her nose through. And Taylor Preston kept putting up these wonky old kicks that the Roosters just seemed to have no intention of chasing. And they, they complement each other so perfectly. They're the classic organising halfback and ball playing 5'8", or running 5'8". So credit to Dino for making the switch because they've taken that three or four game sort of journey from round two to the Broncos game and then turned it into the prime time connection when they needed it to. Maybe Brad Arthur's taking some of that courage with the inclusion of Nathan Brown this uh, weekend. <laughs> I particularly like seeing the, the footwork in a, a limited corridor, limited space from Abbey Church as well as, uh, as Quinlan. I, I thought they were outstanding taking advantage of those opportunities. I couldn't agree more on Abbey Church. And also I'll throw Rakia Horn in there as well mm. because those two women were in the centre position marking up on two of the game's best in Isabel Kelly and Jessica Sergis. And Abbey Church came in for an injured Tiana Penitani and even though she copped a really horrendous knock to the ribs, did so well last week, just showed tremendous courage and is a paramedic on the side. So it's just a really impressive young woman. Well, what about the parallels between the NRL and NRLW with the Roosters and the Eels? You've got the Roosters with defying salary caps with having the superstars in their teams in both the NRLW and the NRL and the Eels relying on, on really capable players but lots of spirit. I couldn't agree more and I actually think what really helped the women on Sunday was the result in the men's game. I know they don't watch the men's games for you know the technical competency or anything like that but to see the men make it in the manner that they did I think gave our women a lot of inspiration and I'm wondering whether our women can maybe repay the favour on Sunday night. Yeah. And of course, you use the word spirit 60s, and I think obviously Tiana's not playing, or is unlikely to play this week, but beyond her, who is one of the co-captains of this team, you can't talk about spirit without talking about Samima Taufer and Kendi Charrington. Samima Taufer is just one of those real leaders that you look up to. She makes 40 plus tackles a game, and when you see Parramatta motoring down the field, it's often off the back of Samima's incredible work, and she's just a leader that really leads by example. And then you've got Kennedy Charrington. She's just a vibe. Like, I will never, ever forget that picture of her scoring the winning try against the Broncos, just arms raised up in the air. This club means a lot to her. Her sister Ruben also plays for the Parramatta Eels in the NRLW. And we're going to need uh, Kennedy and all her fighting spirit on Sunday. Well, Kennedy's a favourite of ours because we had her on the podcast uh, leading into the uh, the first the season for season, yeah. Parramatta in the NRLW and we're expecting we're going to talk to her for about 35-40 minutes and I think like an hour and a quarter later just blinked and we, we'd finished but it wasn't it wasn't because we were like overloading the questions it was just she was so interesting and so engaging hey. that you you couldn't help but well, we didn't, I didn't want the podcast to end, to be quite frank. It was, it was like you've met a great person at the pub and you're just sitting down having a chat. It's how I feel when I come on the Cumberland throw. <laughs> oh, you flatterer. Uh, but but just, to, just further on Kennedy, uh, you talked about Samima Taufer and, and, and just how 
how physical she is with the game, how involved she is with the game. And I really feel that about Kennedy because I, I use the term the dirty metres. She gets the dirty metres in the game. She don't, so there's, it's not the glory runs that she gets. She just works hard. She's in the middle of the ruck. She's scrapping for every metre that she gets. She's in the faces of the opposition. She lets them know that she's there, both attack and defence. I couldn't agree more, and I think I really saw that in Kennedy's game in that first loss against the Roosters. Even though it was 38 points to 16, the Roosters actually really ran away with it in the second half. And I really noticed when Kennedy came off the bench, she actually changed the whole makeup of the game and the energy yep. of the entire team. So I'm glad she's starting on Sunday. Samara Taufa picks up lock of the year, the Dally M's midweek. But not the only eel to get an accolade this year, Gail Broughton, the RLPA Rookie of the Year. She's come across from Rugby Sevens. She's admitted in her interviews on Arrow.com that it's been a learning process for her to the point where she's almost going to volunteer to step down from the World Cup. She has volunteered to step down which, from the World which, Cup. Which blows my mind because, I mean, it'd be helping New Zealand a ton for her to go there and I, I hope that she, you know, changes her mind. But, yeah, what a, what a discovery she's been for the Parramatta Reels. And you can see that I watched Semi Radraja in 2013 when he was playing reserve grade and you could see with each game he would get better and better and better and the, the raw mistake will become refined and refined and refined. Gail's been exactly the same in the NRLW this year. We talk about Kennedy Charrington being a vibe, Gail Broughton is absolutely the same and I remember at the NRLW season launch, Gail was being interviewed and she looked over at Combank Stadium and she said, the last time I was here for a World Cup, I ran a length of the metre. I ran the whole length of the field to score a 90 metre try. And she just, she was just loving it. She's like, I'm not here to brag. Uh, but she's been really exciting to watch. And I loved her contributions in our last game against the Roosters. It's just a shame that we won't see her combination with Tiana Penatani this weekend, unless Tiana can beat Father Time. The, the scary part in a good way is that we're only just starting to tap into her potential to the point where I know Craig's got a tip this is the potential player of the game up on Sunday to be the difference maker. Oh, I would love to see that, Craig. I, I just think she's at that stage where she's, she's likely to explode in a game. We saw last week she was making... I mean, you, you couldn't put them down as line breaks because people were trying to run with her and go with her, but she was... She was getting like 20, 30 metre runs where they couldn't, they couldn't quite get a handle on her. And it was just, it, it was typical of what was happening in the game. We were just getting over the top of the roosters in every aspect of play. She looked dangerous every time she touched the ball. And I think will be crucial this weekend because the fullback battle is one that I'm really looking forward to. We've got Gail Broughton on one side, but we've also got Tamika Upton on the other, who scored two incredible tries last week, is an absolute handful and one of the best players in the women's game. Well, I actually rate uh, Upton as, as the premier women's rugby league player. I, I, I think she's in a class of her own, just about. She really is, but... I'm getting too far ahead of myself and it's because I'm heading to the Rugby League World Cup in three weeks. But that number one jersey for the Gillaroos is so tightly contested. So yeah. you've got Tamika Upton, Corbin Baxter's pregnant so he's unavailable. Bovetti Welsh is unavailable. You've got Emma Tonegato. You've got Sammy Bremner. Mm -hmm. Who on earth do you pick? Yeah, it's an embarrassment of riches in the spot, isn't it, for the Australians? It sounds like a men's state of origin where they, <laughs> yeah. they pick a backline full of fullbacks. That, that, that might be the case where you just pick fullbacks for the backline. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's get to this grand final now because it, it's, it's time to work out what's going to happen in the match. Last week I thought we saw 
a fairly, uh, almost like Rugby League 101, where we won the forward battle, the halves directed the play around, the centres got a couple of tries, and it, it just seemed like textbook Rugby League. Are you seeing the same sort of effort, the same sort of um, game uh, coming this week against the Knights, or will it unfold a different way? I think we will see the same sort of game from the Parramatta Eels, but I don't think we will see the same... I think complacency is an unfair word for the Roosters, but I don't think we will see the same lack of urgency in relation to kicks that we saw from the Sydney Roosters. The Knights have been incredible to watch this year. Millie Boyle and Caitlin Johnson are just effort areas. I think this is going to be a really tight one, but I am tipping the Eels for the win, of course, by six points. No, very, very good. Forty. What we 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 gave our tips the other day, but do you want to go back over what you think is going to unfold? You, as with the men as well, you got to tip a Parramatta victory. Why are we here if we're not tipping a Parramatta victory? There are yeah, it just there's a number of places where this is so fascinating. You've got the two Johnstons going hammer and tongs in the front row. Obviously, Millie Ball to make her up, and you can't ignore those. Uh, Jesse Southwell, outstanding rookie season. So you're looking to put a lid on all of that. For, but for Parramatta, it really is a case of just playing those fundamentals strongly. So that means that the core players that we've talked about already, uh, Samaya Matalfa, Kendi Charrington, uh, Johnson for us in the front row as well, they've got to lay the platform. And then the halves take care of the business between uh, whether it's in the 20s or outside the 20s. The other thing that may help is that uh, I have been looking at the weather forecast for Sunday and it isn't looking amazing. One of the things that the Eels have been very good at in the NRLW this year is completion. They're completing up at around 80%. And if it is rainy and wet and there are poor conditions, they're really going to need to depend on that if they're going to get Fair the W. Cool. Well, Mary, I'm going for an eight-point win. I'll take it. I, I find it very hard to predict the actual score lines in the uh, NRLW, but I'm going for an eight-point margin. And as I said, I, I'm picking Gail Broughton I to think, be best on field. I think I tipped 26-14 uh, going back to our preview podcast. And in terms of the best on field, I, I couldn't split Charrington or Taufa. I think there's just one of those two is going to be there in a clutch moment due to pure hustle, pure willpower. Well, I like those predictions. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, of course, we're tipping the Eels to win the NRLW. And... Please thank the wonderful Mary Kay. And I'll just echo Peter's comments from before. Uh, these two and Mitch over there and the rest of the Cumberland Throw team do an incredible job. Love your work. There's no one else I listen to after the Parramatta Eels lose. So thank you to you all. And uh, uh, Hang on, do you listen Eels. to us occasionally after they win? I do, I do, but I really need it after <laughs> a loss. I just need people who understand me and it's the two of you. So go Para and everyone get out there for the NRLW on the weekend too. <laughs> thank you, Mary. Well, it's time to, it's time to start talking NRL. Mitch Clark, can you get yourself up here, please, mate? Uh, good evening, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, he's the originator of the post-game grades. The originator. <laughs> he, he keeps everyone entertained on Twitter, Mitch Clark. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Very warm welcome. 
But, mate, before we even start talking about the footy, please talk to me about your week and how, how you're going. Oh, look, I'm not doing great. Uh, my lovely wife is sitting over there and she noticed a turn in me uh, today. I've, I've taken a turn for the worse with my nerves uh, preparing for uh, this Sunday. Uh, my boys are starting to avoid me more and more and uh, they've known that they do not whisper the, even a chance that the Eels might win on Sunday. Of course, there is a chance. They're just not allowed to articulate it in words um, due to my fear of jinxing it. So, yeah. Doing really well, in a nutshell. Doing really, really well. of course, being the most optimistic Parramatta fan in the house. Yeah, absolutely terrified and pessimistic my whole life. Uh, If anyone even whispers the fact that the Eels will win any chance, I'll just walk away from that person immediately. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not particularly joyous or uh, feeling great about Sunday. I'm very excited we're in a grand final, but absolutely dreading kick-off, to be honest. Well, mate, they've... The one thing that the Eels have done is they've managed to keep us on our toes for the entire season. Yeah. I just want to run through. This is the pattern for the year. Win-loss, win-win-win-loss, win-loss, win-loss, win-win-loss, win-loss, win-win-loss, win-win-loss, win-win-win. Win-win-win. How good. Just one more. One more win away and then... I won't care for the uh, rest of my life, I tell myself. Just one 80 minutes will change everything. But what, what do you think the depths were? What was the worst point in the season? If we're talking about being pessimistic, what was the point where you just dropped your head, where even the optimists either side of me thought, gee, I'm thinking a bit like Mitch right now? Well, here's, here's how we're on the same wavelength. I had the feeling Mitch was going to want to talk about plumbing the depths of the year, right? So I actually prepared for this. Yeah. I hadn't talked to Mitch about what we were going to, what we were going to discuss tonight. And I want... You do actually, you do have a heading, rubbish. Yeah. Followed so my by head... a Cowboys 35 to 4, that was your first one. And then Tigers, Bulldogs, Broncos and South. Yeah, so I had the heading of rubbish, the rubbish games. But we do know each other very well, Craig, I must say, so you don't get too much credit. We're basically married. <laughs> but I do have a standout uh, moment that plums the depths. And it plums the depths because it carried on into here on the night. So I want everyone to cast their minds back to a Broncos game on a Thursday night. Oh, yeah. Now, it might. <laughs> in this week, coming into the grand final, it's probably the wrong thing to talk about. But it was Thursday night. It was absolutely teeming down with rain. Uh, It was one of those games where, inverted commas, we didn't turn up. And uh, the Broncos ran out 36 to 14 winners. Now, this is John and I coming up here to Jack's Bar and Grill on a Thursday night at like 10 o'clock at night. As I said, raining outside. Who wants to come back and listen to a couple of breaks? You not, know, jabber on about Brad, Brad on, exactly. Mary, apparently, but <laughs> no one else. So we get up here, and who's in the audience? Maybe about a dozen people in Broncos jerseys. If, if we're lucky, frankly. <laughs> and, and, a, and a scattering of Eels supporters, but mostly Broncos jerseys. And we've got the great Steve Eller here. And I'm thinking, how do we talk about this monstrosity of a game? So we just talked to Steve Eller about what it was like to play Queenslanders. 
<laughs> and that's how we got around it. But that was my that was my worst moment, mate. Uh, I think my depth was probably uh, the South game. That was. Uh, I took my boys, uh, this is not a good omen, I've just realised for this weekend, taking my boys to two games this year. The first was the Bulldogs game at Accor, uh, which would be pretty close to lowest moment for me this season. Uh, and then they also came to the 26-0 South thrashing, uh, which turned to be uh, turned out to be the turning point in yeah. many ways for our season. If yep. you uh, hear from a lot of our boys, they said that was the line in the sand for us. We knew that a lot of our players were moving on next year, uh, and this is the point in which uh, we're going to actually uh, put our shoulders to the wheel, so to speak. And that, that's where I was going when I was thinking about the question that Craig posed to you, because round 22, 26-0 shutout at Combank Stadium, it was definitely our worst but most important game in the context of the 2022 season. Is it a loss we had to have, 40? I, I hate the term, but if there ever was a game that was the dictionary definition of it, perhaps so, because... Up until that point, we implemented the new slide structures that had done okay but hadn't really fully fired. But after that game, whatever they did in the review of the tape, suddenly the slide structures have been almost immaculate. They've been so good. I think I was sitting pretty close to you at the time and they were just cutting us up through yep. the middle behind the ruck as well. Yep. And so that got tightened up quite a bit. Absolutely. I remember in particular, Ryan Madison actually at marker was pretty horrific in that lateral movement and he got was. cut to pieces. Latrell Mitchell, Damien Cook, honestly about four sets back to back to back. They ripped us to shreds. So the adjustments made as a result of that 26-0 absolute disaster as obviously, you know, we've seen some fruit in that. What was horrendous about that was they had actually changed their defensive structures a number of weeks before then and it just wasn't working for them. So they They'd moved towards that slide defence, but players were still falling out of it. And that did come pretty close to my worst because uh, we had the great Brett Kenny here as a guest after the game. Never get the greats. It's a bad omen. And oh. I dared ask him, are we still a chance, Brett? Are we still a chance? What do you say? Um, he used a, a four-letter expletive. No shot, I think, was the gist of it. No <laughs> shot. No shot. Yeah. <laughs> right. Righto. And, I, I mean, we love Brett, but, geez, we might not have to have him on the show anymore because the other time he was on was the Easter Monday loss to the West Tigers. So I haven't, haven't had the greatest experience with Bert. Uh, but conversely, Mitch, we talked about the worst losses, whether they were important or not. But on the flip side, you have the wins where you plant a flag, you carve out a signpost. They're the ones you hang your hat on. What were the highest highs in this season? What were the most important wins for the Parramatta Eels? I think the time that I started to believe that maybe we could make a little bit of noise was when we finally got rid of the Broncos uh, up at Suncorp Stadium. That was probably the biggest question that I had going into a game. Are we a legitimate force or are we just here to sort of finish in the lower half of the top eight? Uh, that was the first time when we really put the sword to the Broncos, I might add. Admittedly, Adam Reynolds went out with a HIA, but at that time I was willing to take it. Uh, and then obviously following that up uh, not so long later uh, and taking that top four spot from Melbourne, uh, this is where I, I really started to sit up and listen. Look, obviously I've got every minute of every Eels game um, glued to the back of my mind throughout 2022, but that was the point uh, in which I said, look, we... We could make some noise in this competition. Look, we might even make week three this year, I remember thinking to myself. 
and I'll uh, let you go on from that, there. That is a significant omission from you, Mr. <laughs> Optimism. I never said it. I didn't say it. I just thought it in the back of my head and then quickly extinguished that thought from my mind. Uh, but I remember thinking, look, this side is obviously good enough uh, to go into the finals and go far into the finals. Hopefully it, it finishes up that way. Um, was there ever a point, and I'll ask either of you, where you thought we're a grand final quality team? I, I actually came down to that last game against the Storm where I thought, we, we can do something here. Because it had followed on from the, a couple of other wins and it was a big match. It was the match that was going to determine that we got in, whether we got into the top four or not. And I thought that the way that we demolished the Storm on that night, because the scoreboard was impacted by those couple of late tries... Mm. And I just thought it was such a comprehensive victory over the storm that, to me, it announced that we were, we were a real shot in this final series. I, I think that was the point where I said we are as good as or better than any team in the competition, with the exception of the champion Penrith Panthers. Now, I, we can talk about Penrith at this point now. We've had a couple of victories over Penrith and a loss. Um, do you want to talk through our... Our first victory of the season, which obviously is my favourite. Look, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Nathan Cleary getting sent off, but I think it puts an asterisk next to the victory. Uh, so we're not talking the 30 nil trial victory? We are not going to talk about the 30 nil <laughs> trial victory. Uh, that is not the uh, credence of a team that's worthy of a grand final spot. Uh, we'll save that for our spoon seasons, I think. The we are past trials. We're going to call it two and one uh, <laughs> for the regular season slash finals uh, in 2022. I'm that was the twenty. You. So that was the twenty twenty uh, twenty two twenty correct victory up at uh, Penrith Park. But sure. again, but again, it was a late a late couple of tries flattered the Panthers, I think, and I don't think that's unfair to say. In the same way that a late couple of tries flattered the Storm, uh, we were in pretty good control of that game, and we were up by ten. Because Nathan Cleary was kicking like a bastard that yes. night. I think we had a ten point lead with a couple of minutes to go. Uh, Spencer Lino went over, uh, and then Nathan Cleary missed a 42-metre two-point field goal attempt on the buzzer, I believe. Yeah, I actually saw some similarities between that and the victory over the Cowboys that we've just had, mm. because there was that sustained period early in the second half where Penrith would have absolutely smashed any other team, and we just hung on and hung on and hung on, and then we got two opportunities and iced both of those opportunities to take the lead and take a significant lead. So I think we had the Madison try and the Dylan, uh, Dylan Brown try from memory that, uh, that, that put us in front. But we had, we'd literally been clinging on by the fingernails as they were launching wave after wave of attack. And they got the pretty dodgy try. And I'm not going to be one to say about dodgy tries after last week, but the kick out knock on into the oh, chip yeah. kick for Taylor May in the left-hand corner. Uh, certainly worth reflecting on. And it's interesting that we sit up here as nervous Parramatta fans thinking about how we let teams back into a competition. We did it to the Titans on two occasions, the Panthers we've spoken about, Melbourne as well. I think we've done it at least on one other occasion. But with that said, we have not let a single double-digit lead go and turn into a loss at any point this year. Once we're up by 10 points this year, we went on and won 100% of the time. And that, for the most pessimistic of supporters, and I'll admit that I am, 
Uh, that is something to hang our hat on in 2022 and hopefully leads us in good stead if we can get a double-digit lead on Sunday. And while you both correctly identified later in the season when I think most fans had their points where they began to believe that this could be the year, I think going back to this game, the Round 9 game against the Penrith Panthers, as well as the Round 3 Ray Stone game too, but this game coming in off the short turnaround from Darwin... We got absolutely pumped by the Cowboys. We're down to our eighth or ninth string winger, Hayes Perham's in the team. It's an absolute nightmare in the back line. Dylan this, Brown in the centres, I Dylan, believe. Exactly. This was a game that showcased a lot of the unique qualities of what makes the Parramatta Eels such a threat to the likes of the Penrith Panthers and all the other big teams up until now, in that we've got a forward pack that can absorb pressure, a halfback whose long kicking game is only matched up by Nathan Cleary, who can keep you in the arm wrestle, and perhaps most importantly, a really unique set of back rowers who can be fulcrums for attack that a lot, of, a lot of other teams don't have that can ask questions of teams like the Penrith Panthers that perhaps no other team can. I think if you're the Penrith Panthers, this is the team you would least like to play in the grand final. Look, I know they uh, handed our butts to us a few weeks ago. I think there's a couple of factors in there that I'm explaining away in my mind. Obviously, the Mitch Moses HIA, I just rule out anything beyond that. Uh, and there was another factor prior in that game in which I thought... We had uh, multiple HIAs, I believe, in that game. A couple game. of HIAs. There was another reason why I wasn't... A lot of drop too... ball. Oh, the Wunga Blake drop ball. There it is. <laughs> uh, Wunga Blake having a particularly poor night under the uh, high ball. Look, I think you erase either of those two things, and it's a much closer contest. Look, I could, I could understand if Penrith are a bit jittery. They've, they've won that premiership. That's the big hump, and there's a, a huge come down... Uh, to back-to-back, that's why it's so difficult to do so. Hopefully we can uh, sort of erase that idea uh, coming this Sunday and sort of even up the ledger. But there's something about our game which really troubles the Panthers. I don't know if that's something you want to touch on now, Craig. What do you think it is about the Parramatta Eels game that particularly troubles the Penrith Panthers? I think because they have such a strong forward pack and, and rely on getting over the opposition physically that when we play at our best, that's exactly what we do. So it just becomes a tougher contest. They, their grind is longer. They, they have to get into a longer grind with us as a team. And I think when they've got those errors in them, each time that they present, have presented an error to us, we've taken advantage of it. And I think the more... I don't know whether there's a psychological component that's come into it with, with playing us... I know that they don't, they don't have the same attitude towards playing us as, say, what South Sydney does. Like, South Sydney are ultra-confident every time they take the field against Parramatta. I think Penrith are a confident team, but I also think there's a respect for Parramatta. And I think that leads to those sort of tighter contests. And it's, it's almost like... The Pan- I think the Panthers have changed their style of play within the last year. I think they play a tighter, more structured game than before. I have a theory, and it's a little bit of a a long story, but Penrith, you will notice, at about the 20-minute mark, James Fisher-Harris will not touch the ball. Moses Leota will not touch the ball. He's normally off the field about that point. But even their bench props, from about the 20-minute on, in the first half and in the back half of the second half, will not touch the ball, and it will be exclusively... Brian To'o, it used to be Taylor May, uh, then it'll go to Isaac Targo and it'll go to Stephen Crichton and Dylan Edwards. And that'll almost be four for four backs hit-ups for a set after set after set. 
and they use those wingers to the advantage and they effectively give their props and edge back rowers a 10, 15 minute breather in attack. Now, what doesn't work for them is that typically tires out the forward packs of an opposition and their opposing props or their bench props who might be on at that point get exhausted from having to tackle and then hit up and then tackle hit up, whereas James P. Harris is fresh as a daisy. But Parramatta, we have these long-life props, Regan Campbell-Willard, Junior Paulo, the reasons we only use 15 players in most weeks, and I think Brad Arthur's realised that by bringing in Nathan Brown. He said, if I can absorb that 20-minute hit at the end of the first half and possibly the first 10 minutes of the second, then he's going to nullify the great qualities which make the Panthers so effective. And I think that's my sneaky theory of why Nathan Brown might be such a good selection this weekend because he wants to nullify that 20-minute period. That's a good shout. I mean, Brad did telegraph in the uh, the final captain's call, coach's call, press of that Brown would be coming on just shy of halftime, 10 minutes shy of halftime, playing through into the second half, and he's going to have to tee off. Yeah, look, if anyone's really inspired and wants to look at when Brian Totho particularly gets all of his touches, and I think that's why maybe the Taylor May um, being out and Charlie Staines in. Look, Charlie Staines is a, a fine player. He's a very quick winger, but he's not a hit-up machine. You have a look at how that'll impact the work rate Brian Toto and the sort of touches he had. I think he had 14 hit-ups inside the first half last week, Brian Toto, not including the 90-minute <laughs> run, which he admitted he was absolutely gassed. I love Brian Toto. I wish he was in blue and gold. Um, credit to him for being uh, a Panthers junior, but I have a look out for that when Brian Toto starts to take the hit-ups and James Fisher-Harris has a good 10-minute period where he gets to have his hands on his hips. I, to be honest, I, I hadn't noticed the reason for that like, as I said, I thought they were playing a very structured game, but you've actually uh, articulated what that structure is. Mm. You know, it's it, before it seemed to me that they would, in that period, they would get more expansive. But it's like, in that period now, they're conserving energy. Well, they might be. They might be getting more expensive because they're handing the keys to the backs. They're giving the forwards, they say, forwards, just get out of the way. You make your tackles, you don't have to make your hit-ups. And it gives James Fisher-Harris that last five, ten minutes where he can come on, make a couple late sets of six hit-ups. And he'll normally, you watch him when he starts, he'll make two of the first six, two of the first hit-ups in their first set of six on Sunday. He'll make two of the um, hit-ups in their second set of six as well. He's a very, very good player, but like all players, energy will get sapped. And that's how they buy him a bit of fresh time. What do you think is going through Nathan Brown's head this week? Oh, look, I'm hoping, and Brad's mentioned this a few times, and I'm sure Brad said it even more times to Nathan, is controlling that aggression. Because he will go out like a scud missile and will absolutely want to rip the heads off the opposition players. And that's sometimes when he's at his best. But we also know that sometimes that's when he's at his worst as well. Look, and sometimes when he's off the ball, that's not ideal. But when he has that 100% commitment, um, we've just got to make sure that it's within control. Uh, and I think Brad will speak to that well. I don't think you want to let his teammates down and he'll have a very, very specific mission. He doesn't mind a blindside hit, like sort of coming in on an angle on that first receiver, like an extra set missile. He doesn't always hit. But how powerful it will be for him to know he's going to play 25 minutes max. Yeah. He will be that guy 100% of the time, not conserving energy. He'll be an unstoppable force for that amount of time. Uh, I just hope it's uh, in Parramatta's favours. And look, I'm pretty confident that it will be. Cooper Cronk caught Reed Marnie's name this week 
as the man primarily responsible to put pressure on Nathan Cleary to try and nullify that lethal high attacking kick. Obviously, it's not his sole responsibility, but do you think Reed's the guy or is it going to be someone else that's going to step up and bring the pressure from dummy half or from marker, rather? Yeah, I think Isaiah Papalihi's game's a little bit underrated in this area, putting kick pressure on. Look, Reed's going to make 50 tackles, depending on how long the game goes, particularly a game of this nature. He'll tackle his heart out. So if he has the energy to do so, he's typically in that area because he's just made the last tackle. Um, but whoever's at marker, it can't be Reed Marnie's job. It's got to be uh, 13 players. Whoever's on the field, run at that man. Uh, and then you'll also notice a bit of adaptation for Gutho's uh, positional play uh, in trying to take those bombs. Look, if it's wet out there or at least slippery, I, I hope they let it bounce a couple of times and just surround the ball. Uh, that's, that's what I'm hoping for too. If it's not there to be caught, don't try catch it. And the most interesting me metric for me was we talk about Wunga Blake's issues under the high ball, but Brian Toto actually has a worse diffusal rate through the 2022 season. So I noticed that, that wasn't the story this week, yeah, unbelievably. But is that an area where Mitchell Moses can, in return, attack? Or do you think going after Charlie Staines is the key in terms of the attacking kicks? Uh, something I read really interesting, I won't take credit for this, but Brian Toho does not like running from dummy half. I believe his dummy half runs this season are almost at zero. I don't know if anyone's read that this week, so he's but always Brian Toho never runs from dummy half because he likes to wind up, and mm. so he should. Um, but if you can get it to Dylan Edwards isolated and Brian Toto's the only guy back there, he has to run from dummy half. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if that plays into the minds as well. Not just kicking bombs, but also trying to get him to run from dummy half where he's not nearly as effective. When we're talking about key Eels players, I had a look at some of the season stats and what I was surprised with was the, the way that our spine has spread out things like try assist, line breaks, line break assists. And I just want to run through these. So for Dylan, it's 17 try assists, 14 line breaks, 14 line break assists. 17? Yep. Good heavens. Gutho, 18 try assists, 13 line breaks, 14 line break assists. Gee, we've scored some tries. Moses, 22 try assists, 12 line breaks, 18 line break assists. So it's what you're saying is the spine equally involved in all the good things happening uh, from an attacking play. If they concentrate on Moses, Dylan Brown, we confident will step up, which I don't think we would have been able to say confidently yep. last year. Uh, Gutho always playing his hand, but it also is he happens to be the last pass. I think there's a little bit of... I, I certainly wouldn't put Gutho at the same playmaking capacity as I would Dylan or Moses. Um, but he's obviously quite dangerous there, particularly that last cutout pass to a, a, a rampaging Mike Acevo. And, and perhaps the most important stats that you haven't mentioned is that through the final series, there's two players that have chalked up multiple try assists that probably weren't as prominent in the regular season, and that's Reed Marnie and Ryan Madison. Mm. They've come in the clutch, and in the red zone, have become every bit important as Mitch and Dylan. Yeah, I'm hoping Reed Marnie's finally figured out that crash play that's had us probably pulling out our hair in the early parts of this season. Um, absolutely, please stop passing it to the front man. Um, but, you know, with that said, we got a couple of results even just last week. Regan Campbell-Gillard untouched. Mm -hmm. uh, so hopefully he's figured out when to pull the trigger on that and when to just go out the back. Yeah, he's down at about seven try assists this year. And I think a few of them have come right at the back end of the season. Look, I don't think he was in great form in the first half of this no, year. No, he wasn't. I don't, I I mean, don't think we can mind be saying that. I think we can be blunt about that. Reed was struggling through most of the year. And it was, and it was the basics of his service mm. as much as anything. And, 
and, and not just that the, sh- the passes weren't sharp, it seemed that he was picking the wrong way to go a lot of the times. And he wasn't passing it off the ground, he was picking it up, spring-loading and passing, which doesn't seem like a big deal, but when it takes half a second off the receiving player, that's all the time in the world. That's the difference between catching and moving to the side to getting smashed as just as you're grabbing it. So these little changes, and it looks like... Look, I think hooker is the hardest position to assess uh, as a layperson um, on, on whether or not it's a good game. You typically look at how your forwards are moving forward, whether you're getting over the advantage line as an indicator of whether or not your hooker is doing his job and the way in which Parramatta's attackers move forward, particularly in the second half of this year, has evidently said that Reid Marnie is, is on a much better trajectory. And, and I think it comes down to, for, for him, it was never a question of effort because, you know, the, the tackle counts are always yep. high. Yep. He, he was working his backside off out there. But it just came down to the quality of, of, of what he was doing just wasn't up to the, the what we were used to from him. And, uh, yeah, maybe he's seen the, maybe it's because the finish line is so close, it's sharpened his focus. Maybe it was all that uh, talk that was, uh, brought, uh, was mentioned in the paper that uh, BA said they had around Sean Lane and, and the team getting together and talking about what helps them to be at their best. So... Maybe it all came together at that point. I think a hugely underrated element of rugby league is not necessarily your talent, not necessarily your physique or your training, all important factors, but your psychology, how you are feeling coming into games. And we, we could name a million players who life off the field wasn't great, and but on the field, it was reflecting on the field. Um, and I think Parramatta is in a good headspace as much as anything else, any changes they've made. John, you mentioned their defensive structure earlier. Um, we've spoken about um, their little changes in the way that we're kicking the ball. But I think also their psychology, their mindset coming into it, they had that line in the sand conversation. Uh, and I, I think we all know that story, the 2001 Grand Final Breakfast, which I was just informed actually isn't even a true story. But the, uh, the story was that Newcastle saw Parramatta before the 01 Grand Final Breakfast. They looked absolutely terrified and that was the point that Newcastle said, we've got them. Now, whether or not that story is true or not, I think that it speaks volumes of, well, what's Parramatta's mindset this week? And if you've been following the absolute wall-to-wall coverage of the Parramatta Eels this week. You can make an encyclopedia from the news media articles it we've seen this week. Barrage. Unbelievable. It's all been great, I must say, and I'm thoroughly enjoying the 30 articles a day. Um, but looking at the Parramatta Eels at fan events, looking at them at official NRL fan fests, um, looking at them in the Dally M's the other night, look, they all looked really relaxed. I know what nervous guys look like and I know what relaxed guys look like, you can only say so much from the you know, snippets of video footage and the way that they're interacting. To me, they look like a team that's relaxed and, and looking forward to the challenge of the weekend and maybe putting the pressure on the Panthers. There, there was some fascinating messaging from Brad Arthur as well, I think came out either yesterday or today. There is so much riding on their shoulders. Everyone is cognizant of that fact. But he came out and said he wants his boys to be selfish, to play for themselves, for their team, because this is their moment. I, I actually think that resonated well with me because... So many other Parramatta teams, whether they made the grand final or not, and obviously 01 and 09 immediately jump out there. You go to 98, there's a whole stretch. 05. Yep, 05. Even that stretch between 05 and 09 where we had some bad runners at the Melbourne Storm during that period. Uh, They got that monkey on their back, and I don't think they could get it off. And I think Brad making about the players, about their team, their brotherhood is so important ahead of Sunday. 
Yeah, I, and I think it's, it's good to see them relax. And we speak about when they had those team meetings and they got together and said, this is where we're going to change what we are. They didn't change their training regime. They made adjustments to their defensive structure. But effectively, it's their mindset. It's how they want to go. And it's, it's maybe one of the reasons that Parramatta has been so frustrating because we know how good they can be. We know that Mitchell Moses and Dylan Brown and Clint Gutherson and this forward pack should be an unstoppable force, but it hasn't always happened. And we have these head-scratching moments where we have the Tigers loss, we have the Bulldogs loss, we have the Broncos of the South, and we think, why aren't you putting it together? We wonder if, aside from maybe the Panthers games where they, the Panthers game where they probably tried to match uh, the Panthers' style of play and went away from what worked for them, there's a, there's a great uh, advertisement for the importance of mental preparation and being mentally right before big games. Yeah. Look, without a doubt, for me right now, I think there's the, the mantra has to be nothing that's gone before now matters. Everything is about the, the right now and what they're about to do. I which, don't care which about... What, which is what they said before the final series started, you'll remember. Yeah. Uh, like, forget the 36 years. That, that doesn't mean anything to these players other than they'd like to deliver for the fans. Mm. And you'd think they'd like to deliver for the fans anyway. Yep. Right? So 36 years doesn't matter. Lost grand finals doesn't matter. How they performed against the Panthers earlier this year, that doesn't matter. What does matter is what their focus is like, and I think by virtue of them trying to keep things as normal as possible in their own training times that's one of the most important things that they can do so we've seen they've trained on apart from the open day which was just really a skills session and a meet and greet Wednesday was back to normal at uh, Albert Kellyville and it was a pretty you know it was just a, a nice uh, solid session nothing extraordinary I've watched a lot of their sessions it looked it looked typical of a midweek session. They train today. Uh, went up and watched them train today. And... Were they doing full contact today or yesterday? Yeah, they did, they did full contact today. Yep. But it wasn't a long session. And they don't... That, is, that actually is their final run. They don't do a captain's run the day before. So today was their final preparation. They looked in great spirits. And when they came out on the field, it was... Uh, you know, a little bit of joviality as they're warming up, and then it was just heads down, into business. So and it, it looked like a round 12 training session? Absolutely. Yeah, there, okay. there, there was nothing about it that, was, that to me was any different. How they, how they were in the sheds before or after, you know, we don't know. But from the outside looking in, it just looked like a normal training session. And I think that's, that's what... That's what this group needs. I've been a, long been a believer that any time we've stepped out of the norm... Brad Arthur said this recently. Yeah, and like I've seen him. He's, he's done all the things that typical, typically might bring success for a group. Putting them into a training camp before a, before a big game. Disaster. Yeah, absolutely. It, it just uh, changing where they do the training. Um, going and doing a session at at Combank Stadium when instead we, of at Kellyville. Did we take a week off at some point? We came out and got absolutely blasted. John, do we you went, remember We went that to one? the Central Coast. When was, what game was that before? I remember we lost after it. Bulldogs. Bulldogs. Thank you very much. 
mark from the crowd. Round 14 uh, v the Bulldogs. And I, we were all very, very fresh. I do remember sitting in a core stadium disappointed and thinking, I can't believe we have had a week off and this is how we've turned up. So you spot on, and Brad Arthur said that this week, the, he knows what's good for the boys. We were... We were criticised for the fly-in, fly-out approach to Townsville last week. No, you've got to get acclimatised to the Townsville. And finally, Brad Arthur just said, no, I'm not going to listen to it. This is what works for this group, and so we're going to do it. And look, the proof was in the pudding. And that, that whole approach is why I wasn't worried about losing to the Panthers in week one, because if anything, that buy had me sweating coming into the prelim final. Yep. So going down to the loser bracket and playing the Raiders and the Cowboys suited me just fine, because that is a routine. Good segue. I was going to ask a controversial question. We lost to the Panthers in week one of the finals. Good thing or bad thing, knowing that we're now in a grand final? Obviously, it was not great at the time. I would have liked to have been one step closer to a grand final with a victory. But now, look, I don't think I'd change it. What about you? No, no, I wouldn't change it. I mean, I didn't see it as a complete disaster to lose in that first week. I simply would have liked to have won in the first week to get that second week monkey off the back. Yep. And that was the only reason. But no, then we no got brother. it off our back anyway. Yep. Uh, I, I want to say, I think it also puts a bit of confidence, maybe misplaced confidence in the minds of the Panthers players that they've figured us out. You take away that Wunga Blake, you take away the Mitch HIA. It was 13-8 when Mitch went off and Wunga had already dropped it twice, I believe. Yep, two, um, two tries, yeah. Look, I, I don't know if the Panthers should be that confident, but I want them to be. I want them to feel like they've got us, got us covered. And if... If we won in week one, they would be absolutely freaking out. They wouldn't have cracked the nut yet. They'd be, but now I think there's a chance that they might think they have us figured out. And to be honest, that was not us. Agreed. Yeah, well said. So, let's get down to it. All right. It, this is probably what you don't want to do yeah, is to not, give a prediction. It's, it's going to be an excellent contest. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to ask you. Yep. Now, I, know, I think I know the answer to this because it's a different answer to what you want. Yeah. Who's your money on? Uh, I do have a bit of money. For those who don't know, every week the Parramatta Eels play, I actually put money on the opposition. Uh, it helps me sort of rationalise and deal with a loss. I am down a lot of money this year, but I've never felt so happy. <laughs> uh, haven't you, in the past, haven't you managed to buy a car I did, based I, on your winnings? Uh, 2018, I bought a car. Thanks very much <laughs> for the Parramatta Eels. That was a wonderful year. We just had these favourable odds on and on and on, and I kept cleaning up. I actually got Sportsbet us, us actually spotted my padding, my betting pattern. Uh, and they banned me from sports bet. Not because I put oodles of money on it, because there's people who put way more than I do. Um, but I'm not allowed to bet on sports bet anymore because they picked <laughs> up on my betting pattern. So there you go. There you go. Uh, but, yeah, no, I do have money on the Panthers this week. And, gosh, I hope I lose every cent of it, as I do every week. But, you, but let's not avoid the question. What's your prediction? I cannot say it. I cannot. I, I don't want to even imagine. I've been... Look, I think you need to put in the hard yards and prepare for disappointment. Like a pre-season, you need to just imagine a Panthers victory, how would it make you feel, and you prepare. I don't need to prepare for an Eels victory. I'm, I've been imagining that for 36 years. So in my mind, I'm just emotionally preparing uh, for bloody Nathan Cleary or Brian To'o to jump on the back of one of his stupid teammates. In I'd respect them to no end, can I just say. They're an outstanding football team. Uh, but nothing will disappoint me more than seeing them jump all over one another when they score a devastating try in the corner. 
uh, to sort of put us out of all hope. So Look, I know your listeners, and I desperately hope people have uh, much more... Uh, boldness is not the word, but they're much more bold than I am, uh, but I'm not ready to articulate the words. In, in lieu of putting a numerical figure to their final scoreline, if in the championship minutes past the 71st minute, heading towards 78, 79 minutes on the clock. Game's there to be won. Which eel is your pick to be the guy, to be the man, to help us live, uh, lift the uh, Look, you'd want, it, you'd want it to be Mitch Moses, and he did show a glimpse of having that sort of clutch, kicking prowess in the uh, manly victory at Combank. Kicked it in the rain, horrific conditions, got it done, and you knew for him that that was a monkey off his back. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, and again, people aren't going to want to hear this, but last week he had an opportunity to tie it at 20-all, and he's hooked it. The, the Moses gambit, though, because we turned two into six. He did, so he knew what he was doing. He's very bright. Yes. Um, but, uh, look, I think if someone's going to win it, the person with the coolest head is Clint Gutherson. That's a fair call. I, I Mitch but, Moses has the most talent, but Clint Gutherson has the right temperament, if, in my opinion. I hope Mitch Moses proves me wrong, because no one loves that man more than I do. No, knock on wood, if we do take it all on Sunday, you're going to get inked up? You're going to have a little bit of uh, immortal remembrance of what the premiership would be? Uh, look, I, I may or may not get a tattoo uh, of, of the moment. Uh, I don't have a tattoo currently, but then again... Uh, they didn't let me have a tattoo when I was two years old, and that was the last time that Eels had a premiership. So we'll see what happens. I need to chat with my wife, who I can imagine is staring daggers my way right now. Uh, Yoko said to me she was going to get a neck tattoo of the Eels. <laughs> Yoko has just given the double single finger, single finger salute uh, in the direction of the podcast recording, so Craig might be telling Porkies now. Uh, why, don't, why don't you give us your predictions, uh, gentlemen? I'll start with 40, actually. 40, what's your, I want a winner and a score prediction. Yeah, so when we were chatting about this earlier in the week, I said the little kid in me wants to blow up, wants the 08 Manly v Melbourne scoreline. Oh, 40-0. I, I would love nothing more than a complete non-competitive game. We could game. cheer for 80 minutes and just revel in it. But realistically, you know the Panthers are going to take us the full 80 minutes. And, 100%. And to his chagrin, I tipped a 25-24 victory. With a field goal at the end, splitting the two teams. Oh, and gosh. Yeah, I, I know, I know, I know. Be dead before, I'd be dead at the 70th I, I, minute. I went, I went so far as to say we kicked the field goal, 78th minute, then have to hold on for dear life for that one set. It'll be a seven-tackle set, yeah. you know it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I and hear you. In the big moment, I, I went for Mitchell Moses because the, the narrative is there, and that is a big part of the Clive Churchill is not just the best player, but the best player with the best story. We saw in 2015, Jonathan Thurston, knowing he the best on field, but he kicks the field goal, gets the Clive Churchill. So that was my pick for the Parramatta Reels. Very good. Very good. I hope you're right. I've gone away from the norm in terms of who I think will be the Clive Churchill winner. I nominated Ice to get it as his farewell gift to really? Parramatta. That, Gee, uh, you have to have a cracker. Forwards don't often walk away with a Clive know, Churchill. I know. That's why I said uh, I've really gone away from the norm in that because it's normally, it is normally someone in the spine that is, is likely to get it, uh, someone who does something flashy in the game. But I think... Never this... a winger, never a centre, and very, very rarely a forward, often a spine player. If it's yeah. not the halfback, it's normally the fullback. Did Glenn Lazarus... Yeah, that, well, if we're going back to, to the brick with eyes, it was a long time ago, the last time with a so forward tip, brought home I'll tip the eyes to do a cartwheel. All right, there it is. All right, there it is. Uh, look, I've, I've been trying... I've, I've, 
I'm not so sure now about the score line. I really do think it's going to be uh, a, a converted try or less to Parramatta. Um, last week, I had the premonition dream, oh, which no. I shared. <laughs> but that was, that was specifically about the Cowboys. And all it was was uh, Valentine Holmes being interviewed saying it's a disappointing way to end the season. He did say that. Did he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he said that. <laughs> this doesn't help no. us this week, Craig. Also, and, and, and I'd like to know the hit rate of your premonition dreams too because your betting game's not as ideal as you would have liked. <laughs> no, and I haven't put one cent on the Eels this year. You're a good not, man, thank you. Not one cent. If you could not put some money cent. on Penrith, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah. Do you know what? Uh, maybe I will. Maybe but you will. Down maybe. to the local, have a little flutter tomorrow, mate. So Come on. I, I'm wait that now. That premonition dream about the Cowboys actually happened the night before. So maybe, maybe Saturday night will be when I know what's going to happen. But I'm going to tip Parramatta by a trial uh, by less than a converted try. That's what the people want to hear, Craig. <laughs> That's what the people want to hear. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, what a blast it's been this year here in Jack's Bar and Grill in Parramatta Leagues Club. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Thank you for being there all season with us. Uh, we'll be looking forward to coming back next year. Well, before that, if we do win it all, we expect to see everyone here on Sunday. Don't, oh, yeah. Don't yeah. even whisper it. Don't Absolutely. Even say, don't even say that. <laughs> Last one for you. <laughs> so, yeah, again, thank you for coming along. And uh, go the Eels. <laughs> Thanks, mate.